Well, today I want to remind you, it's never too late to have a new beginning. You know, I get a lot of questions from people in their 40s and 50s who are concerned that they've made some wrong choices and now they're just doomed to live out their lives without meaning, purpose, or profits. You know, I hear from 27-year-olds who said, gee, I majored in the wrong thing in college, and they implied now they're just stuck with having to kind of coast into the grave, you know, without finding something that's really enjoyable for them. Like, oh my gosh, don't do that. You have plenty of time to learn and grow and decide and make new choices. I mean, if you see the early years of your education and career as times of learning and testing and clarification, you can then move into the most enjoyable and productive season of your life, regardless of how old you are today. So stick around. We're going to look at some steps for supercharging your progress right after these messages from our supporting sponsors. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, there you go. So if you need a tune-up or major overhaul, or we just recently brought in a consultant to 48 Days, and one of our team members said it was like we got a, a realignment. You know, if you're going down the road in your car and the front wheels are wobbling and it's pulling you off to the right, off in a direction you don't want to go in, you need a realignment. Well, stick around. We're going to, whether you need a realignment or a minor tune-up or a major overhaul, hey, we're going to talk about ways that you can get your life back on track with where you want to go and what you want to do. So here's some questions we'll be looking at. Dan, I'm 54 years old and I'm still not sure what I want to be when I grow up. How about this one? Dan, I'm making money doing what I don't love and what I do love isn't making any money. Which should I quit? Great question. Well, look at that. How about this one? I'm a 53-year-old college dropout who left school for all the right reasons 20 years ago to help my mom and siblings. All right, but so needs a new start. And then this one, I love this one. We're going to have some fun unpacking this. My business is making significant money, but I'm embarrassed about the work I do. Wow. How do you resolve that? We're going to look at some fun examples. Probably can maybe bring those together. Well, our quotation is what I mentioned at the very beginning here. It's just a, one of my sayings that I often use at the end of an interview. It's never too late to have a new beginning. Now, that doesn't matter if you're 18 or 58, or 88. It's never too late to have a new beginning. It's fun to have a new beginning, as a matter of fact. I mean, all new beginnings are hopeful. They give us new energy. So maybe you just need to create a new beginning for yourself, again, no matter what age you are. Now, our resource for today is to um, let you know about the webinar we've got coming up on July 27th. So depending on when you're listening to this, it's July 27th coming up pretty quickly. That's a Thursday, and it's titled Hold Fast to Your Dreams. It's a title I've used before, but it's always new content, new examples about what people are doing to bring their dreams to life. But, you know, what is your big dream? You know, is it to enjoy what you're doing and not have so much trouble waking up each morning, not having to dread the alarm clock going off so you have to go off to work? Is it to have time to spend with your family? 
Is it to put your skills and talents to good use doing something that uh, you think really matters in the world? I mean, we got a lot of questions about that. And often people think, well, this is what I'd like to do, but there's no income generation. You know, I can't really responsibly do that. Whatever your dream is, we're going to help you shape that by identifying five steps to turn your dreams into reality. And I'm going to be sharing that again. So that's our webinar coming up. If you just go to 48days.com slash webinar, that's where you'll find the details. 48days.com slash webinar for our Hold Fast to Your Dreams webinar we got coming up. That'll be at 2 o'clock or 7 o'clock p.m. on Thursday, July 27th. So check it out there. All right. So we've got our dream incubator intensives as well. I mean, we're doing a lot of things to focus on helping people bring their dreams to life. We want to be the dream, dream coaches, dream managers, dream encouragers for whatever it is that you're wanting to move toward to help you open the doors, get clarity about what you need to do and to move toward that. So we got these dream in incubator intensives that are coming up in the month of August. Got four different ones. Uh, they're going to be with our Dean of Business, Greg Gray. Build a strategic plan for your business. If you're interested in coaching, our Dean of Coaching, Giovanna Ellison, is doing one on upgrade your visibility and grow your coaching business. I've never seen a coach grow so quickly as what Giovanna did with her business. She clarified who she wanted to help, how she could help them, and that has just exploded into phenomenal success. So if you're interested in coaching, that'd be a great one to grab. Learn how to navigate change. That's with our Dean of Mindset, Marianne Renner. I mean, maybe you are disturbed at the speed of change. You know, you're seeing things in your industry, your profession that you didn't anticipate five years ago. If you want to know how to navigate change, come on the other side. Again, Marianne has a, a great personal story about doing that herself, being with a company where there was change that came in, massive change. She learned how to navigate that and has learned how to thrive and prosper in that. And then if you're interested in speaking, our Dean of Speaking, Jen McDonough, doing an intensive on learn how to get your first $48,000 as a speaker. She has a, a photocopy of the first $500 check that she ever received as a speaker. And I remember that really, really well. You know, today she gets in excess of 15000 for her speaking engagement. But you can learn from her. So if any of those interest you, hey, just go to 48days.com slash intensives. And those are our intensives for August. Check out the details there, 48days.com slash intensive for kind of an in-depth look. Those run for one month. They're typically four sessions together with the person facilitating those where you can learn how to elevate your success in those areas. You know, what, what I, I've, been, I've been to so many conferences and seminars and workshops myself recently, enrolling in new things, getting new coaches, just an exciting time of learning and growing. I've got so many tips I'd love to share with you. We're going to just keep it kind of focused on some of the questions here for today, but make sure that you take advantage of these additional resources. I mean, I just got back from a, a one-day intensive with the Savannah Bananas. Uh, Jesse Cole has started doing some incredibly innovative, creative things in the world of baseball. You've probably heard of him. I got to spend an entire day with his team 
kind of behind the curtain, so to speak, and looking at what they're doing. I ought to put those together. I may put my notes together and just share some of the creative things they're doing there that are getting noticed around the world. I mean, last year they had a million followers on social media. Today they have over 12 million. And uh, well, I'll give you some other details kind of as I go through some of the questions here where it may fit as well, but just exciting things that they're doing. So Tim says, I'm 54 years old and still not sure what I want to be when I grow up. Long story short, I've been self-employed all my life, lost my business and my reason when the markets crashed back in 08, 09. I've been floundering ever since. Cannot seem to find passion in anything I do and cannot figure out how to make a living in anything I'm passionate about. All right, so we got these two things, again, counterposed, we hear a lot. Well, just as what I love, but this doesn't make any money. But I know how to make money, but I don't love doing that. We're going to see that in some of the questions here that I kind of grouped together today. So you can make a living in anything you're passionate about if you're creative and if you are willing to do things other people are not doing. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. Passion, you know, I hear people say, well, I don't know what my passion is. And they're waiting to have that passion just explode on them. Well, passion is more developed than it is discovered. The sequence here is follow your curiosity, then develop your proficiency, become really good at doing something. And in doing that, then you develop passion for what you're doing. And from that, then you can see a clear purpose. Then you can make a promise to the world and enjoy the profits that you get in delivering that. I mean, that's sequence that we go through. I mean, Brian Tracy talks about how people become millionaires. You know, number one, they set clear goals. Two, they're open to continuous learning. Three, they're willing to take risk. I mean, if you are doing those things, you can start with where you are, Tim, at 54 years old. But take that fresh look inward. And I'll give you some more clues here as we go on into these next questions because they're very similar to yours. How do you at 54 think, man, I'm just, my, my life is in neutral. I'm just not moving forward. I'm just existing. I'm not thriving. I'm not prospering. I'm not growing. Well, you can do that. If you get clear again on where you are and what we'll continue here with some of the other questions. So Brad says, Dan, I'm planning on jumping out there to do the work I love and see if it will work. I've been involved with this nonprofit for years without much growth. I love it. And I've never been able to work it full time. My problem is my wife thinks it's for a good cause, but she also feels it takes too much of my time. So she's currently not on board with me focusing on it. It doesn't create an income yet, just covers the bills of the organization. How do I get my wife to love the work I love? She thinks I care too much about the organization and sometimes thinks I care about it more than my family. I disagree. I'm home a lot and real estate is my main business, but I don't feel fulfilled in that anymore. I like to help people both mentally and spiritually. Should I quit? Brad, well, Brad, you, should I quit? I'm not sure really which you're asking. Should you quit working with a nonprofit that you love but not making any money? Or should you quit your real estate and focus on the nonprofit where you're not making any money? Well, let's just kind of back out of this again, use our umbrella for how we look at this. What you do has to blend your passion, talent, and money. 
So if you have passion and talent, but no money, you don't have a business or a career. You have a hobby. I used to talk to a lot of guys in Nashville, you know, being Music City, who were really good in music. And they really had a passion for it. But, I mean, I remember one guy clearly, you know, he hadn't generated any income in eight years, totally dependent on his wife's work. She was resentful and rightfully so. He's like, well, this, you know, this is my career. I said, man, you don't have a business. You don't have a career. You know, all you have is a hobby. That's it. I, I remember he used to get his nails done. every. He would go for a manicure every week. Obviously, his wife paying for that. And he justified it because he had to keep his hands and nails in perfect shape because he was a guitar player. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Now, that, that story did not end well, incidentally, because... He um, wasn't willing to do the things that would uh, generate income, and she became totally intolerant of his lack of contributing anything, and uh, their marriage ended. And uh, neither seemed to be willing to make any kind of compromises to maintain the marriage, and uh, thus it did not survive. Well, so if you have passion and talent, but no money, you have a hobby. If you have money, but no passion, yes, you're going to burn out, Brad, like you're asking here. But there's got to be a way to work that together. You know, if you have an, a nonprofit or a cause that you really are passionate about, that you care about, there ought to be a way for that itself to generate income. I mean, I think about back when my son Jared was in Rwanda. He wanted to help these ladies who had every disadvantage you can imagine in a culture where their husbands had been killed. Most of them were widows because of the genocide that had happened there a few years prior to that. You know, they were discarded by society. They resorted to doing some things that society didn't approve of, you know, and so they were just, they were just discards. And he said, we got to help these women. Well, how do you help those women? Well, the easiest thing to do, the most logical thing is to come back to the United States, tell people their sad stories and get donors to give you money to take back and give them money. But when you think about it, does that really resolve the issue? How are you helping those people if that is what you're doing? You're simply raising money from outside sources to give them money so they can pay their rent and have food on the table. But it's a Band-Aid situation. What are they going to do next month? They're going to be standing there with their hands out again. Now, that's a whole Topic for another day, perhaps we'll unpack that further, what that leads to when you just keep, teach people dependency rather than teaching them self-sufficiency. So what Jared did, my son, he figured out, we went through a couple different ideas for microenterprises, and he landed on helping the ladies make jewelry. Now, what they would do is they would get discarded calendars, catalogs, newspapers, paper products like that. And then they would create from those this beautiful jewelry. Now, this is not just little beads where you then feel sorry for the women and buy the jewelry. No, he had designers come over from Rhode Island School of Design, and they would design high-end jewelry. These ladies would create it, and then the jewelry was sold at runway shows in Miami, Los Angeles, Nashville, New York, places like that. The money from that, would the, the ladies were paid more than what a school teacher was being paid in that culture. And the funding from that totally funded the entire project without having to ask for donations. 
I think that no matter what it is that you want to do, you can figure out ways to create income and often engaging those very people that you want to serve so that they have a sense of pride, a sense of engagement, a sense of you know, in growing their self-confidence in doing that. So whatever it is that you're doing in your organization, I mean, look for ways that the people can engage who are receiving the services so that it creates the funding for that. Now, without knowing more details, it's hard to really go deeper into that. If you want to give me more details on that, we kind of unpack together. There may be courses could be developed that could be sold or just information or books that are written about what's going on, but different ways to leverage the content so that there's money being generated. So I would, I would, but, but the, the bottom line is you, you do have to be responsible for providing for your family. You can't spend your time in an organization, even if it's a worthy cause, if you are ignoring the responsibility to provide well for your family, you're going to build resentment in the areas where it matters most. That is too high a price to pay. Well, I, my, my mind is just racing, thinking about so many examples, you know, missionaries, pastors who have realized in retrospect how they focused more on the organization rather than their family and sacrificed what they thought was most meaningful to them as a result. Well, hey, I'm going to take a breath here, come back. We've got a few more questions here that we want to look at together about this whole idea of it's never too late to have a new beginning again no matter what age you are you can draw a line in the sand make a new plan uh, make a new plan sam remember that old song yep well we're going to be looking at that but this is a reminder you can submit your question here i'm honored to get those questions keep them coming i have, like having lots of them so go to 48days.com slash ask dan you can leave your question there if i use a question here as you know i'll send you an autographed copy of 48 days to the work you love one of our podcast journals where you can keep your own notes and listening to the podcast in there as well send those out to you again just go to 48days.com slash ask dan so hey here's a quick message from our sponsors and then i'll be back with another listener question well here's another question hello dan i'm a 53 year old college dropout who left school for all the right reasons 20 years ago to help my mom and siblings since then i returned to college and got my bachelor of science degree i graduated at 38 years old from college where can i find a prescription to live the rest of my life doing the work I wouldn't love. I'm a 33-year employee of my present and only job as an adult. I'm terribly burned out of this line of work. If you could help me find some direction, I would greatly appreciate it. I do need a prescription, so to speak, for the rest of my life. Andrew. Well, Andrew, I I love how you describe that. You need a prescription. You need a, a prescription to live out the rest of your life. You know, there's a biblical concept called the rule of life, which you do a little research on that and it'll help you kind of find some parameters, but certainly we have a process to go through to help you with that. Now at 53 years old, you have a wealth of life experience to guide you. Now think about this. You know, if you're 18 years old and you're wondering, gee, what should I major in in college? You know, what am I going to do the rest of my life? I mean, that's pretty hard to really know because you haven't had enough life experience to really know and clarify things about yourself. At 53, you do. 
I mean, one of the most valuable parts of those early years of even a working career is to help you understand what it is you don't want to do. What it is, so, you know, finishing your degree a little later on, you know, graduating at 38 years old. And, and for to start with, I commend you for, you know, dropping out to help your mom and siblings. Boom. Then you went back, graduated at 38 years old. That should mean that you had more information about what it is you really wanted to do. I mean, if you're totally undirected at this point, I'm not sure what you majored in in college. How did you choose a college major? I'm hoping you chose a college major because there was some reason for that in terms of that already being an area of interest for you and something where you thought you could work in that arena and, you know, enjoy the work and be a responsible provider. So I'm not sure how you got a college degree at 30 years old and still are feeling this undirected. What are your strongest skills and abilities? I mean, what kind of personality do you have? Are you outgoing and social? Or are you more comfortable not being the center of attention? Do you work well with other people or do you prefer working alone? I mean, what are areas aside from work that you really enjoy? You know what? I'm going to encourage you to do this as well. We've got a worksheet. It's just, it's just a free guide, a workbook you can go through to help you develop your personal mission statement where it helps you clarify these very areas. What are those skills that you not only have refined, but that you really enjoy doing? How do you relate to other people? What kind of environments are you most comfortable in? You know, how do you manage, persuade, sell? And then what are those recurring dreams that you have, you know, where you realize when looking back, oh, it was when I was doing this that I really came alive. It was when I was doing this that I really felt like I was in my zone of genius. We talk about, you know, athletes being in the zone. You ought to have times where you look back and you think, oh my gosh, that's what I felt like just everything came together when I was doing that. So here's, here's my resource for you. If you go to Fort, I know I'm giving out a whole lot of resources today. I hope you got a pen and paper as you're listening to this to jot down the things that'll help you get clarity. But if you go to 48days.com slash mission, we've got a work process there, a worksheet, walk you through how to get the clarity to develop your own personal mission statement. I mean, wow. I mean, you know, my, 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 I've got mine right here in my computer in front of me. I keep it there where I see it, you know, a thousand times a day. I help high potential individuals understand their unique and most powerful talents and passions and to translate those into meaningful, purposeful, and profitable daily work so they can make a larger impact, leave a legacy, and thrive financially. And we accomplish that in 48 days. I mean, that's it. Everything I do is weighed against that. Does it embrace that? That's my mission statement. You can do that. I know you've got enough information to pull that all together. So again, just go to 48days.com slash mission to uh, get that completed and help you get the clarity that you're looking for. Okay. One more question here. Dan, I know you're... Um, extremely busy. I decided not to waste words, go straight to the point. I need your advice. I have, oh, now uh, listen to how this is laid out because I'm sure there's some of you, this comes from John, but I'm sure some of you are going to say, oh my goodness, that that's me. That's, that's me. He says, I've owned and operated a cleaning franchise business for a little over 10 years now. 
We mainly provide cleaning services for small offices and some residential properties as well. On average, I work around 25 to 30 hours each week and yet earn what many would consider full-time income. The extra downtime hours I've used for hobbies, gardening, exercising, and so on. Well, it's not making us a fortune. It is making us a living. Um, I've been thankfully able to afford overseas vacations, time with the family, and so on. There are a couple more upsides in the business that I can mention, but to get to the heart of the matter, the truth is I'm not proud of the work I do. Actually, I'm embarrassed about it. Although my friends know what kind of work I do, I never talk about my work. Whatever the topic, whenever the topic about work comes up during conversations, I just keep silent and hope and wait for the next topic. I'm so embarrassed about it that I think I'm not exaggerating when I say that I'm almost in panic mode when I'm asked what kind of work I do by an acquaintance. I already felt this way earlier on in the business, but I thought I would be able to get over it eventually. Believe me, Dan. I've done soul searching. I've tried to change my perspective about what I do. I tried to convince myself that it, although it's unglamorous work, it's an honest job. Ten years on, and I still feel embarrassed about it. Dan, should I take the way I feel about what I do as a legitimate indication that I'm not in the right business? Is this enough reason for me to move on into doing something else? I want to be proud of what I do and be proud to talk about it. I don't want to feel like hiding anymore when asked by an acquaintance about the work that I do. Dan, please help. Kindest regards, John. Wow, I'm, I, I love thinking through this with you. And I want to just kind of talk through this with you. If you are good in business, if you've been able to have your own franchise and you've been able to do okay financially with that, then I'm confident you could choose to take another business, lots of different businesses. So that would legitimately be a reason and a a resource for you just to decide on another business because you do know how you're an entrepreneur. You do know how to run a business profitably. However, I, I really, I think you could rethink this. When you rethink the service you're providing to people, I know we, we have two, two ladies, a mother and daughter who come and clean our house. We adore these gals because of what they do. They come in. I mean, I just, mar- I walk through the house after they're here and just marvel at, I mean, Joanne's an amazing house cleaner. It's not like her house is dirty, but the way they leave the kitchen sink is unlike anything I've ever seen. It, I mean, just gleams the way the house smells because of the products they use. I mean, everything is just so spotless. I mean, we love having them. We consider them part of the family. We treat them well and give them bonuses. And Joanne always has York Patty little candies for them to take along with their payment every day when they leave here. I mean, I would think that your customers love you because of this valuable service that you provide. I I think also in just what you're describing here, providing cleaning services about Joe Polish. Now, Joe Polish, I don't know if you know that name, but he was a young guy and he was actually a drug addict, but he realized that he could do cleaning. He could do residential and commercial cleaning and survive, get enough money there. And he, the, the, 
the line that describes him now is from dead broke carpet cleaner to one of the most connected businessmen on the planet. And what he did, Joe realized that he was good at marketing his cleaning services. I mean, he had other cleaners saying, well, how do you stay busy? You know, you're always busy. He was like, yeah, you know, I can got all the work I want whenever I want it. He started teaching other carpet cleaners how to fill their schedules. So he took the information, the knowledge that he had, rather than just continuing to clean, he took his intellectual capital, so to speak, his knowledge, and turned it into courses that he could then teach other carpet cleaners how to fill their schedules. Well, those courses created far more income from him than the cleaning itself actually did. He's moved on. He's now the founder of Genius Network. I mean, that's one of the highest level groups for entrepreneurs. I mean, the genius, the annual Genius Network event, it, it cost incidentally. And I've looked at this, man. I've considered it, talked to some other guys who are in there. It's $25,000 a year to be part of that. And then he also has a $100,000 group where it costs you $100,000 a year to be in there. I mean, these groups are home to some of the most successful entrepreneurs alive. I mean, and, and those people are considered to be the most influential connectors that are out there. Now, you can imagine what this has done for Joe. He's still known as a carpet cleaner. Everybody knows that's the business that he grew and that's the business that's the foundation for everything that he does today because he understands marketing principles and that's still what he's known for. Entrepreneur Magazine says that each member of the Genius Network has an average income of $9 million. Now think about who he's rubbing shoulders with. Here's a guy who's a carpet cleaner and actually he was, again, as I mentioned, a drug addict. He's very open about that. Now he's moved up to this level where he's a multimillionaire himself. I don't even have an estimate for what that one will look like, but he's hanging around people whose average income is $9 million a year. And he put together these networks where he brings these high level people together where they, they learn together, grow together. That's pretty cool. That can be done. That can be done from something that is what you consider a non-glamorous industry. I think about another, another guy. This is Tom Faccio. Tom is an accountant. Well, he, he, now he's passed on now, but this was, this happened years ago. He was an accountant and he lived in a closed community. And some of the other homeowners were complaining about their trash services. Now this was back when typically trash service was done by a dad and his son who had a pickup truck. You know, they'd come around on Wednesday morning, get your trash, go unload it. Boom. That's, so it was, you know, pretty unorganized, but there was always somebody that would do that. And they were complaining about the service that they had. And Tom says, why don't we do something ourselves? Why don't we create our own trash service so that we address our needs in a really classy way? And the other guys are like, come on, you got to be kidding me. You know, we're not trash collectors. We're business people. Well, Tom took that on himself to do that. He started what became BFI, Browning Ferris Industries, BFI. You may have seen their trash collectors around. Those, um, trash collectors that turned into being the second largest trash collection company in the world. A few years ago, he sold that business, sold to Allied Waste. He sold that business for $7.3 billion. So that's what he did with trash collection. 
You think he has to hang his head in shame? I mean, he went on to buy you know, restaurant chains and sports clubs and all kinds of things because he had so much money. Did he have to hang his head in shame because he was in a trash collection business? No, I don't think so. So again, you know, the old adage, revenge is, or success is the sweetest revenge. You may look at it in that way. You can be extremely successful with your cleaning business that you have. And again, those are, that gonna, is, is, is going to erase any, uh, any tarnish to your image that you think you may have. You know, if you drive up in a fine car, uh, people are going to be curious about what you do. Surely in the community that I live here, I love asking people what they did, what they did to allow them to you know, live the kind of lives they're living today. I think about my friend, Jesse Cole, who I mentioned earlier with Savannah Bananas. He took a baseball stadium, stadium, Grayson Stadium there in Savannah, Georgia, where I just had the pleasure of spending a couple of days this week over there. But uh, he took a stadium that was drawing two to 300 baseball fans. The, the baseball team that was there was a minor league team. And they said, you know, we need a new stadium. You know, we, we need a new $10 million stadium. And the city was like, uh, how do we justify a new stadium when you're only drawing two to 300 fans? And they said, well, the reason we're only getting two to 300 fans is because we have an old stadium. They left town. They did. They left. Jesse came in, negotiated with the city to take over that old stadium this year, they're playing 30 home games. Every single one is completely sold out with 4,200 seats and with over 800,000 people on a waiting list for any available tickets. They've created a fan base that, as I mentioned earlier, they went from a million social media followers last year to 12 million at this point. Their merchandise sales is more than what most baseball teams make from ticket sales. It's amazing the things that they've done. Again, I probably ought to put together an episode where I just go through some of the amazing things that I've learned about their operations that have made them a worldwide phenomenon. They're now getting invitations to come play with the banana ball at major stadiums. They just did an event in Indianapolis uh, two weeks ago, 15,000 people there so not only can they fill the 4200 seats where they but they filled a 15,000 seat stadium sold out in just minutes and they're gonna this next year now have 30 road games where they play in different locations but took something very very common something very very ordinary and he just is doing things in that industry that most people are not doing and other ball teams are now looking to him wow this is really interesting he's, he's breaking the rules Hey, and I, I say that, you know, in an admiring kind of way. He's got things like if a fan up in the stadium catches a fly ball, it's an out. Well, that's not true in regular baseball, but it is there. It just makes it interesting. And the whole thing is entertainment rather than just baseball. Now, they do have a good baseball team, but it's the focus is entertainment rather than just winning games. All right. Well, hey, a couple things here. We're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. My goodness, I could go on and on about some of these things, but I hope it's been encouraging to you again to look at it differently. You know what I have done as an author is an example of that. You know, when I looked at writing books, I discovered real quickly that statistically, ninety five percent of authors in America never make more than forty thousand dollars a year. And I thought, whoa, that's not very encouraging. But instead of thinking, well, I'm not gonna do that. 
knowing 95% never make more than 40,000 a year? My response immediately was, what do I have to do to put myself in the 5%? All I have to do is look at what most authors do and be willing to do some things they don't do. We've been creative. So yeah, I'm in that by 5%, having a lot of fun there, doing things that a lot of authors don't do, but uh, validating my desire, my heart's desire to write, to create content that encourages people, gives them ideas for how to bring their dreams to life. I mean, that's what I do. Well, hey, speaking of which, next week, I'm going to bring on Michael McGreevy. Uh, you've probably heard me talk about him. A lot of you know parts of his story. We're going to talk about how he had a dream and move from that dream all the way through to the new life that he has today. That's next week here. And our resource again today is our upcoming webinar, Hold Fast to Your Dreams, on July 27th. I'd love to see you there. You're going to get worksheets, things that will help you move through the process for yourself to really define what is your dream and how are you going to bring that to life. Just go to 48days.com slash webinar to get the resources there. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions, for being open to growing, being a powerful force for making the world a better place. Hey, share this episode with three of your friends who are also committed to personal growth. They'll thank you for it. You know, become known as that person who is positive, somebody who offers hope and encouragement to others. And if you pass along to somebody a book or a podcast like this, or encourage them to go with you to a conference, hey, bring them to our Will It Fly conference that we're having here in Sarasota, August 10th and 11th, 12th. I mean, grab somebody and come here. You're going to be lit on fire for bringing your dream to life. Anyway, be that kind of person. Stay committed to your belief that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work and a life that are meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Have a great week. See you next week.